morning to you again. What a good morning it is as we celebrate what our Lord has done as we exalt in Christ. And right now we're going to exalt in Christ uh, through His Word. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you now to, to take them and open them to the book of Titus. If you're visiting and do not have a Bible, we keep them in the seats there in front of you. Welcome to use that. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to make sure that you leave here owning one. So we have Bibles at the Welcome Center, and that could be our gift to you. So make, make, make your way out at the very end of the service and see, uh, see somebody at the Welcome Center, and we'd love for you to, to take God's Word. So our text today is Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, the final, final words of Titus. So here's what God's Word says. When I, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So one more time, we let us pray together this morning for his help. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful for the gospel, so grateful that in Christ, we who were once your enemies are made your friends. We who were once estranged have been made your children. You have reconciled all things together through Christ, and we are grateful for that. Father, I pray this morning, we pray together as a church, that you will work through the preaching of your word as we ponder the things that we have learned in Titus. I pray that they would just land powerfully in our hearts, shape our lives, shape our church. It's your word that does that. It's not people. It's your word that shapes us. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that work this morning. Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? And I feel that this morning. Insufficient. And so thankful that I do not have to rest in my own sufficiency, but I rest in the sufficiency of Christ. And I pray, I pray for your people this morning you would move powerfully this morning by your Spirit. Help those who are weak. Help those who are discouraged. Help those who are doubting. Help those that are sad and grieving loss. Do your work, Father, for your, for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, these are the final words of Titus. We've, we've been in this letter. Um, doesn't feel like a long time, but the reality is we've been in this letter for all of my tenure as pastor here. <laughs> Literally. And with this sermon, our journey in this letter is complete. I, I hope that you have deeply enjoyed this journey. I have deeply enjoyed this journey. I hope that we have been changed by God's grace 
as we have studied this letter. That is what journeys like this are meant to do. They are meant to change us. They are meant to change and shape us as Christians, as God's work does its work in us. That's why we preach every Sunday, God's Word. That's why I don't just stand up here and pontificate ideas. Probably shouldn't use the word pontificate, sorry. But I don't just give you my ideas. I, my ideas are not all that awesome. But God's Word, it's awesome. And we've been on this journey so that we might learn. I don't want to overdo my Lord of the Ring references here. I need to paste them out because I love those books, but I, I, I might overdo it a little bit this morning. My all-time favorite chapter in the Lord of the Rings saga is the second to the last chapter of the entire series of books. It's called The Scouring of the Shire. Have you read this chapter? The Scouring of the Shire. It's such a good chapter. The, the hobbits have returned from their quest after destroying the ring, bringing down Isengard, restoring Gondor. They had fought, they had won, and now the journey was over and they've gone back to their homeland and ready to be back in the quiet and peaceful Shire. Only they don't find it nice and peaceful. It meant attacked while they were gone and ruffians had taken over and they imposed all kinds of silly rules and basically made life miserable. Everyone was, all the hobbits were living in fear and dread. There were rules about everything. Rules against socializing, parties were forbidden, the nice party tree was cut down, ugly houses were built, all the nice inns were boarded up. If you wanted to travel about, you needed permission, all that sort of thing. The rules were posted everywhere, and everyone seemed to be just obeying them out of dread and fear. There's a, a bunch of digs against communism in that chapter. It's a great chapter. But Frodo and Samwise and Mary and Pippin see this, and they would have none of it. They would not stand for the injustice. They would not cower to the bullies. Instead, they boldly, fearlessly confronted them. And when the fearful citizens saw the courage of these hobbits, these four hobbits who had, when they left, been ordinary, adventure-adverse, timid hobbits, they too rallied, and then all the good hobbits scoured the shire of the ruffians, and they cast off their tyranny. It's a great chapter. Go, go read it. The Scouring of the Shire. One thing that I loved about that chapter is that it showed how the journey had changed them. Frodo, Samwise, Mary, Pippin, they were different people than when they left. They had seen things, they had experienced things, they had learned things that made them awake to reality, while ever, others who had stayed behind had been lulled to sleep. The journey changed them, and that's my point. And the, there's impact to that change, and there's benefit to that change. So here we are at the end of this letter, and the truth that we have encountered is meant to change us. Our journey, short as it may have been, I hope has changed us. Paul wrote this letter so that it might have an impact on this church. God, by His Spirit, working through that letter so that it might have an impact here as well as the island of Crete. Of course, that's not to say that these last several weeks of preaching have, have done that work alone. I'm not presumptuous. I know better. Most of you have sat under God's Word for a long time. The, the, the gospel, the Word of God has been preached here for many years faithfully. God has been good to us. I hope this journey is changing you. And it's a really good thing. 
Nevertheless, the truth here in this, in this book is meant to change us. We're not the same hobbits on this side of the journey as we were when we set out. Today, what I'd like to do as we wrap this up is to consider five different ways this passage should change us. Or if you'd like, the top five lessons of the book of Titus. It's a recap of sorts. And my hope is that it will help us put the message of Titus together so that we would enjoy the full benefit of this letter and that our lost world might feel the full impact, that we might be very awake. Lest I ignore what's actually in our passage today, let me first make a couple of quick observations from the farewell portion of the letter, and then we'll go over these top five lessons. Look at verses 12 through 13 again. It's hard to say with certainty what exactly was going on. Uh, you, can, you can make some um, conclusions based on what you see here. There, there are real-time events, though, when this letter was written. Um, it looks like Paul was planning to send a replacement to Crete for Titus. He would continue that church planting work, and Titus would be free to leave Crete. But when that person arrived, Titus would not be off the hook. He would not be off the hook. Paul wanted him to meet him in Nicopolis, that's in present-day Greece. Paul was still on mission. Paul was still on mission, and so was Titus, and so we should be. I, I really enjoyed the uh, Risen Hope launch anniversary this last week. It was, it, was, it was sweet to hear Pastor Dana share about the history of how that came about. I, I hope you know that history. If you don't, you ought to investigate it. It's, it's wonderful to see the work of God. And that church launches out as a separate, autonomous, local church, December 31st, or January 1, 2024. But the reality is we're not done. We're still on mission. Titus was still on mission, and we are still on mission. And we see a few more real-time events in these closing verses. In, in, in verse 13, we can discern that two traveling missionaries would be going through Crete, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos. And Paul wanted the church to provide for these men. Even in what we can glean from these few words, they're, they're, I think there's some important things for us. We can spend time here considering how important mission support is. Paul is just commanding that of, of the church of Crete. Like, like this is what we do. We support the work of missionaries like Apollos and Zenos. Send them on the way. See that they lack nothing, he says. So note those two things as we, uh, that we see here in this closing paragraph of this letter. Christians go and Christians send. Do you see the going and the sending in this paragraph? Artemis, Tychicus, they would go. Paul would send. Zenos and Apollos were going. Titus and the church were called to send. Titus would go to Nicopolis, and it seems safe to assume that Paul expected the church of Crete to send him there. When we Christians, we Christians are a going people, and we are a sending people. We go and we send, and we do both of those things for the spread of the gospel among the nations. I think that ought to be on our minds now as we consider our obligations to world missions I pray we will always be a sending church, and I pray that we will always be a going church. We go and we send. Finally, there are two concluding thoughts in these last words of Titus. This is the tip of the spear of our letter. I, I plan to circle back to these two things uh, before we're done here, after we go through our five 
top lessons. Verse 14 says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works and not be unfruitful. And verse 15 says, grace be with you all. Those are two of the giant themes of this little letter. Good works and God's grace. We devote ourselves to good works, not as a way to merit God's favor. We, we know that, right? But as a result of the gracious work that God has done for us. Salvation, as we see from this letter, is by grace alone. And it results always in devotion to good works. That's where this journey ends. And there are five big lessons we've gone through that get us to that conclusion. So let's walk through those, shall we? We're going to do this like a countdown. You like countdowns? These are the top five. The number one is probably the most important. I'll start with number five. Let's work our way down. What is number five on our top five lessons from the book of Titus? It is that we live in a world that is broken by sin. You can see that in two ways in this letter. You can see it in the specific ways that Paul urges Christians to be different than what they once were. And you can see it in the way that false teaching was posing a threat to the church. The, the quickest way to see this is by considering how Paul describes us B.C., like before Christ. Look at Titus 3.3. I'm going to read this twice in this sermon. This is such a good passage. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That was us before God's gracious intervention in our lives. And if that was us before Christ, we can deduce that that is everyone outside of Christ. Everyone outside of Christ. This is the world in which we live. This is what people are and how they live outside of Christ with varying levels of expression. Some express this more, some less. But all of us are like this, foolish, disobedient, led astray, deceived, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, idolaters, full of malice, envy, and hate. This is the human condition outside of Christ. Paul minces no words. In chapter 1, he even needles specific faults in the Cretan culture. Remember? They were always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I mean, the point is, this is a broken world because of sin. We broke it. You can also see this by the way that false teaching was posing a threat to the church. The world creeps in, as it were, or tries to. And that's part of the reason for this letter. There were many, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 10 says, there were many who are deceivers, upsetting whole families, teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This letter was written to a church in a godless culture who were facing threats from the inside and, and threats from outside. We live in a world that is full of sin, and there are threats. And that's why the next lesson, our, our number four, and our top lessons from Titus list is so important. Number four on our list is that a healthy church is vital. Paul is writing Titus so that he would continue to establish a healthy church on Crete. So verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is why I left you on Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. Putting what remains into order means working towards a healthy 
church. And he begins with the qualifications for elders. You cannot have a healthy church. You cannot have a healthy church without healthy church leaders. And so this is vital. This is a vital point in the book of Titus. Work hard, Titus, to establish a healthy church on Crete with healthy, qualified elders. You, you may recall when we were preaching through this section of the letter that we decided from a couple of different passages that these elders would need to have two voices, the voice of rebuke and the voice of edification. You can see that in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, and a couple of other passages. He, the, the qualified elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. The elder must hold to God's word and with God's word exhort and teach Christians to trust the gospel and follow Jesus and obey the scriptures. And he must, with God's word, rebuke those who do not. So he needs two voices. This letter shows us the importance of healthy church, and it makes it clear that for a church to be healthy, it must have a healthy leadership. We must learn that lesson from the book of Titus. All right, number three, just cooking through these. Number three in our countdown is that we must hold firm to sound doctrine. We've spent so much time on this as we've walked through this amazing little epistle, and I hope you have it now and believe it with all of your heart. I, I, I hope you, you can see how vital it is to have healthy, remember the word sound could be translated healthy, doctrine or teaching. I mean, lots of people, lots of people in the American church are down on doctrine. They view it as unimportant or divisive or, or cold or academic. But it's not those things. It's not those things. It is at the heart of our faith in Christ and our health as a church. A church needs healthy leaders who hold tenaciously to healthy teaching, the doctrine that comes from the Word of God. Titus emphasizes the importance of God's Word in the life of the church, and may we, Faith Baptist, by God's grace, continue to be a church that believes that message with all of our hearts. May we hold to sound doctrine. If you do not have a healthy church leadership, you do not have a healthy church. And if you do not hold to healthy teaching, teaching that is from God's Word, you do not have a healthy church. One wonderful contribution in Titus to our understanding of sound doctrine is, is, is that sound doctrine is immensely practical. It's not merely academic or abstract ideas. It's truth that transforms lives and transforms the way we live. It's immensely practical. And that leads me to number two on our countdown. Number two on our list is that the doctrine of God, our Savior, is to be adorned. We pull that language from the end of chapter 2, verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. We teach in ways that accord with sound doctrine, and that has many very specific points of application for every demographic. We adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, they teach us a bunch of specific applications for sound doctrine. For old men, and for old women, and for young men, and for young women, and even for bond servants, for teachers in the church, for, all, for everyone, every demographic. 
When we get to chapter 3, he expands that list and teaches us how we are to live in society. He says, remember, verse 1 of chapter 3, remember, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and speaking evil of no one, gentle, courteous, be courteous, and so on. I mean, the point is, doctrine is not just a statement that we, like, have crafted together and put on our website. Things we believe, and that's it, no further impact. What we believe and what we have seen in Titus determines everything about the way we live. And that's just reality, right? The way we believe affects everything about the way we live. Do do you remember my stolen pen illustration? If you don't, you can go back and listen to that sermon. Sadly, I don't remember which one it is, so you might want to just start with the first one and just work your way through till you get to it. What we believe is what shapes and governs our behavior. We, we learned that from Titus. <laughs> Late on the day that I preached that pen illustration, just side note, uh, my son and I were in town. We're running some errands and trying to get some stuff done. And I went into the store with him, and I filled out a form and... Uh, I, Long story short, we were unsuccessful at what we were trying to do, and we ended up back in my truck leaving, and I realized that I had the pen, that I had <laughs> filled that form out. And my son said, quick as, yeah, he just said, Dad, you literally just preached about stealing pens today. <laughs> Point is, sound doctrine is practical, and Christians are called to adorn the gospel, to adorn sound doctrine, to live in such a way as to display the lovely gospel that we believe. Friends, there is a way to so misrepresent, to so misadorn, if you will, the gospel by our behaviors and our, by our lifestyle that we make the gospel look ugly and not beautiful. Christians are called... To let the beautiful gospel have its beautiful way in us, in our lives, to radically change us. We don't look like this, we don't look the same after the doctrine of God our Savior has invaded the heart. We have new clothing, we, and they are lovely. We learn that in the book of Titus. So to recap our countdown uh, so far, number five, we, we live in a broken world. Number four, we must strive to be a healthy church with healthy leaders. Number three, we must hold tenaciously to healthy doctrine. And number two, we must adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And now for our number one top lesson from the book of Titus. Drum roll, no. The the greatest lesson, the, the top lesson from the book of Titus is that the goodness And loving kindness of God has appeared, and he has saved us. Oh, how I love the book of Titus for its emphasis on the gospel. Over and over again in this tiny letter, Paul says, this is the the world, this is you, and this is Jesus. And Jesus has saved you. Love that. Don't you love that? You love the gospel? Let's just read Titus 3, 3 through 7 again to be reminded again this morning. Take hope from this, friends. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that not sweet to your soul? This is who we were. But the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and he saved us. God sent Jesus Christ into the world, and he saved us. We're about to spend four weeks pondering that awesome reality, the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, because that is when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. And Christ did the work to save us. He did all of the work. He did all of the work. Note that Titus makes it clear, it is not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, Jesus did all of the work. His life, his teaching, his cross, his substitutionary atonement, his death in our place to satisfy God's judgment that we rightly deserved, his empty tomb, that is is his work, and it is grace and mercy to you. Friend, are you trusting in Jesus today and not your own good works? Oh, won't you turn to him now? This, what a great message from Titus. This is the world, and this is you in the world. And this is Jesus, and God sent Jesus to save you. We see that in the book of Titus. So that's our list. That's what we have learned on this journey. These five lessons and and then some. We live in a broken world. Healthy church is vital and we must strive to be that. We must insist on healthy leaders and we must hold fast to healthy doctrine, teaching. We must adorn the, the doctrine of God our Savior and we must cling to the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ, that is found in Jesus alone. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared, and he saved us. And now we are done with this journey through this little letter. Isengard has fallen, the ring has been destroyed, and we're back in our shire, our workplaces, our parenting, our relationships with our neighbors and coworkers, all the day-to-day stuff that just makes up our life that's part and parcel of living in this world. And I hope, I pray, by God's grace, we are not the same anymore. I hope the gospel is having its full effect in your life and in my life and our life corporately. And specifically, right at the conclusion of this letter, I hope it is securing our devotion to good works. All through this letter, this, this is such a powerful theme. Paul teaches the gospel, and then he teaches that we should be people who are zealous for good works. He lays the gospel out. Then he draws a line very clearly to what that looks like in our lives as Christians. And here in, in, in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, let our people learn. Let our people learn. They're teaching all of this about God and this world and doctrine. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works and not be unfruitful. I hope we're not unfruitful. 
This is what Titus should be teaching us. It should be teaching us as a, as a church, as Faith Baptist Fellowship, to devote ourselves to good works, to help in cases of need and not be unfruitful. If we have read this rightly, we will be a people who are devoted to good works. And yet a people who do not rely on those good works or count those good works or hope in those good works as what makes us right before God. I love that Paul concludes this letter with grace be with you all. Isn't that a great way to end the letter? Grace be with you all. God's grace, his unmerited, unearned favor towards you be with you all. For sure, Paul draws this straight line in Titus. From God's grace to good works. But that, that line only goes one way. It only goes from grace to good works. It never goes the other way. You never merit grace. Can't merit grace. Doesn't even make sense. So let's conclude this sermon and this sermon series on this lovely little letter the book of Titus, the way that Paul does. Friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here among us, for what you have been doing for years here, and you continue to do. You are so faithful and so kind to us. Lord, may we, may we be a church that strives to be healthy. We live in a broken world. We know, there's, we, we know there's a great need for the healthy church. Help us to be a healthy church. Help us to cling tenaciously to the gospel and to sound doctrine. Help us to adorn sound doctrine. And help us to be a people who love the appearing of, God, of your loving kindness and your goodness and the way that you have saved us. Help us cling to the gospel. Live the gospel out in this world. May we go from this place demonstrating the good works and not be unfruitful so that many might know this lovely gospel that saves us. In Jesus' name, amen.